Amen. Well, again, you reach that point in the week where Paul said, lay aside something that you would, uh, that you would give. I don't know if he had an electronic device in mind when he was thinking of receiving an offering, but that's the methodology that we have today. So as uh, we prepare to get into the Word, this is that point in the service where we set aside to give cheerfully, uh, not begrudgingly. No one is pressured to give to the Lord. We just do that out of our hearts, just thanking Him for all that He's done, all that He provides. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen. And just our giving is a reflection of our knowledge of that fact that everything we have need of, God provides. And uh, thank God for that. And so thank you for your faithfulness in giving. I wanted to make mention of something you probably won't hear um, during the course of the week, um, unless you're you know, involved in the ministries of our church you know, throughout the course of the week where everybody's kind of sharing this stuff. But next Saturday... Uh, you guys, you remember John Carlin. John went home to be with the Lord here um, probably, gosh, over a month ago. This is, time flies. But uh, his memorial service will be here at the church this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. And uh, you're invited to be part of that. Uh, John was a very special person in the life of our church. Uh, he had a, a deep love for God. He loved people. Um, he was a generally just funny guy. I mean, he had a, a fun sense of humor, and uh, but he loved the Lord. And today, um, if you could see him now, uh, but uh, we'll see him again soon, but we're going to celebrate his life. And uh, we'd love, Lorna and the family would love for you to, to be here this next Saturday as we celebrate him. So that's 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. And as you talk with people, you can share that, uh, you know, as well. If you have a Bible handy, man, I pray that you do. Um, we're going to open it up to First uh, Peter chapter 3 here this morning. And, okay, so I'm going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen when I do this. Let me see. Okay, I think I'm there. In First Peter chapter 3, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 10 this morning and through verse 17 here. Uh, we're in a, a little series I've titled uh, Hope in the Dark, because again, as I reminded you, you know, Peter was writing, this is a general epistle, so it applies not to a specific church, but just to believers in general. And uh, what's going on uh, in the world during the time that Peter wrote this is a lot what's happening in the world today. Uh, there's tremendous persecution. It's growing. We might not know it as personal in our lives as some around the world, but uh, it's growing. And uh, if you are uh, open uh, in sharing your faith, you're finding that uh, the pressure is becoming more intense. Uh, you know, there is a greater and growing opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in the United States of America. And that would be somewhat surprising to many of us, but we're finding that to, to be true. And so there's much encouragement uh, during these times uh, when we're not really sure. Like I said, we're kind of feeling our way through the dark uh, of this life. But uh, Jesus is the light of the world, and he has illuminated our hearts with his life and his light. And therefore, we are ourselves the lights that are set on a hill that can't be hidden. And because of that, uh, people take notice, and, and at times people obviously take opposition to that. Um, 
I thought it's also kind of timely too, we're heading into an election, you might not know that, um, taking place uh, this week and probably one of the biggest elections uh, in the history of our country. Um, and so just to be very prayerful, you know, as you go into this, uh, this next week, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose and you're going to see uh you're going to see and hear a lot about opposition uh this week i have no idea who's going to win don't have any idea who's going to lose i just know that we live in a, a very divided country at this point um and so uh the beauty of the church today man we should this this should be our moment to shine you know remember i always loved that the movie apollo 13 you know and and when disaster strikes, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to crumble or we're going to rise to the occasion. And uh, this week, you know, we have an opportunity to shine as the church once again, and, and even in an election year like this, because it makes no difference, like I said, is who's in the White House in the truest sense. It, it doesn't. Um, what matters is who's on the throne of your heart. And, and that's the most important thing. We can and we will and we do disagree theologically, uh, you know, about many things uh, with regard to elections. But one thing that we all agree on is the need uh, to be loving and to be kind, even in the midst of disagreements. And that's one of the things that should make the church stand out because we're finding in the world, you know, we, we were seeing all these, you know, the, the, the tremendous hatred that seems to be growing, uh, you know, when you have a an opinion that is opposite, uh, and I'm talking about in a political sense, you know, that when you disagree with someone and we, we're seeing terms that we've never really heard before called cancel culture, you know, that if you believe a certain way that, you know, you're minimized. So all this plays into, you know, what persecution is. It's just happening where we're really able to see it, not so much on a spiritual level yet, that's still in many ways coming in this country of ours, but it's definitely happening on a political plane. It's happening on a political level. And, and, and I'm watching and listening to people who are being hurt by it. Is that, you know, you have beliefs and, and strong beliefs at that. And when you share those, that people, it's not just that they disagree with it, but they attack you vehemently. And uh, that's one of the things that we see. And so we have, a, we have an opportunity this week as the church to not enter into that, but to rise above it. And to remember, you know, the, the greatest gift that God has given us to share in this world is his love. And, and it's really what makes the church appealing um, to the outside world, because, you know, we're made up of different beliefs and different, you know, political affiliations. But the bottom line is when we can still love each other and we can still care for each other and we can be respectful of one another, um, that's appealing. <laughs> and I think it's one of the things that people are looking for, even in a candidate, uh, you know, this go around is that they're going, man, we just want somebody who, you know, can we just get somebody who's nice? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty sad when, you know, when it's no longer positions, you know, but it's personality uh, that you're really voting for. But you go, but people get tired of fighting. They get tired of the infighting. They get tired of all the things that are associated with, you know, uh, it was the same thing in, in during Jesus time, you know, walking here on this earth that um, when people get into power and then they're challenged within that. I mean, there's just this tremendous, you know, hatred that, that rises up and so much so that, you know, the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good works, right? I mean, think about that. It says, you know, in Luke, Luke's gospel, it says, and Jesus went about doing good works. Everything Jesus did was for the benefit of humanity. 
It was for the glory of God, but it was for our benefit. Amen. And, and so he just healed people. He cared for people. He fed people. He loved people. And they killed him <laughs> for doing good. You know, and so he's, and we're going to share this next week. Um, and I hope that you're here. I'm going to do a message in, in 1 Peter 3, um, talking about the purpose of pain. Uh, and, and maybe that's fitting at the end of an election. Uh, you'll find out, you know, how you feel uh, next Sunday in as well. But uh, really, you know, there's a lot that the, the Bible says about the days at which we're living in today. It's, it's very applicable to, you know, the, the beauty of God's word is, you know, truth is good for all people, all places and all time. Amen. So it, it's, it's one of the great joys that we have in studying the Bible because it will apply to what you're facing today, no matter what you're facing in your life. That's the beauty of God's word being living and active. It, it ministers to every single one of us right where we're at, if we'll just open our hearts and our minds to that. And so let's take a moment here and we'll pray. I titled the, this morning's message when being good isn't good enough. Because that's what Peter is talking about. When being good isn't good enough, what do you do? And uh, that's what we'll study today. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to study it together. And, and Lord, may you minister life to us as we do. And may it transform us and change us. Lord, may we be conformed into your image, not the image of this world. And we love you and, and we love everything about you. And to think that, Lord... That's what you're doing as you work in our lives, as you are changing us and transforming us from the inside out, that we would be a, a greater reflection of you. And so, Lord, we don't want to be amiss today as we prepare our hearts, not only for your word, but to receive communion. We don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. And so, as Paul would remind us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that, Lord, we want to examine ourselves and see, are we truly in the faith today? And the good news is, no matter where we're at, Lord, uh, we can end up in a better place. If we're not in the faith today, we can come to faith. We can receive you as Savior and Lord. And if we're believers who are just living carnally in this world, God, you can set us on a, a different path today as we recognize the error of our way and commit ourselves afresh to you. And so, Lord, wherever we're at today, just thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're moving in every heart, in every home. Thank you for those that are watching online, and may you bless them as they study along with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Peter, you know, dealing with this question, you know, when, when you know, you do good and, and, and you're being good, but yet that good just isn't good enough. And, you know, as I shared, you know, Peter's writing, this is a general epistle, you recall, Remember, there was tremendous persecution that was taking place in Rome. Nero, if you recall, Nero had uh, basically lit the, the city on, on fire. Uh, he was trying to destroy all the old buildings so that he could build new ones. And literally thousands of acres, you know, of countryside, buildings were on fire. And the, and the community began to rise up and revolt against him. And so to try to, you know, get out of this, uh, you know, basically revolt that was rising against him, is he found a group that was it, was, it was a small, but it was a growing number of people in the community. They were called Christians. And they already had, were kind of on the radar, 
you know, of the city because of their practices. They didn't have idols, you know, so uh, they, and I, I shared with you last week, and I encourage you to go back and read it. It was just a, a wonderful quote by, you know, one of the spies that the Roman government sent into the church to spy out the church. And, and the report that he gave, you know, when he went back and reported to the magistrates that of what was taking place, that here were these believers that were gathering together. And like I said, they didn't have any idols, but they worshiped this one whom, who they referred to as, as Jesus Christ, who, though he was invisible, they sensed his presence amongst them, and they had tremendous love for one another. And you think about, you know, what a report to go back and, and tell, you know, the government that, hey, there's a group of people that they love God. And they love one another. And you think about the whole fulfillment of the law and the prophets and those two things. That here was a group of people that set their hearts to love God and to love one another. And because of that, then, like I said, they were suspect. People were trying to figure out who are these people and, and why do they do the things that they do? They're so different than everybody else. So they became what? The pawn. They became the puppet, you might say. They became the scapegoat for for Nero. And so he put the blame on the church. He said they had practices, you know, communion, the very thing that we practice today, and said, that, you know, it, it's cannibalism. He says, you know, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood. And so there was things that, that the world didn't understand about the church. There's things that the, the world doesn't understand about the church today. There's things that the church doesn't understand about the church today. You know, we are a precarious people, but God is working in the midst of all of that. And so, again, what happened was then the church began to suffer tremendous persecution. Like I said, the things that, that Nero would do to the church to dip them in, in pitch and light the, you know, his garden you know, with them, turning them into to street lights to drag them through the city until you know, there was just nothing left of their bodies. I mean, just to, to find new ways to torture people and practice those things and perfect them using Christians. I mean, the church was suffering tremendous persecution. And yet Peter, in the midst of this, is saying that what they need to do is not to panic and not to fear, as we studied last week, but to what? But to rejoice instead. And that's difficult. And like I said, and we're not going to just, you know, run through this. We'll spend another week talking about, you know, the purpose of pain because it, it nobody's absolved from it. We're all going to hurt in different ways. We're all going to suffer, whether we like it or not. If you live long enough in this life, you're going to suffer. And at some level, you're going to suffer persecution. Like I said, we're seeing that in our country now on a political front. And, and in many ways, we're seeing it on a spiritual front. I know some of your stories and, and you've already in your life, sadly, even living in the United States of America, where those freedoms are protected. See, they can, in a sense, protect us from physical harm, but nobody can protect us from spiritual harm. We have an enemy, the Bible says, who goes about like a roaring lion, Peter will write. And he look, he's looking for whom he can devour. And so he's against us and, and against everything that our life would stand for. And so here is Nero using the church, you might say, like I said, as the fall guy. And again, as this plays out, you know, Peter then begins to write in verse 10 there. You know, there's some, some instruction that he gives us if you want to. And I love, you know, how he puts this. He's basically saying, if you want to love life and you want to see good days, I mean, is there anybody that wants to love life? You want, you want to see good days? And, and, and if you do, Peter's telling you how to do that. I mean, there, there's things in Scripture. You read this and you go, okay, if you, if you want to love your life and you want to see good days, Peter says to do this. Look what it says in verse 10 through verse 12 there. It says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. 
you go, oh man, isn't it interesting when you you watch? Has anybody followed this political this election? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed, like, when people will talk about, like, you know, dirt, like, you know, getting dirt on their opponent, they don't like to, well, you might not know it in this particular election. Let's just say the old days uh, of elections. You used to, you used to wait till, like, the last week, right, to bring out the real dirt on your, on your opponent because it just seemed wrong, right? I mean, if you were just going to hit below the belt, as they'd say, they go, well, you can't do the whole election like that. They go, because why? Because people don't like it. They don't like when you just hit below the belt constantly. So they go, so now you hire these strategists, right? And they go, so you got to wait till just right before the election. And then you just give them the old under the belt, you know, the low blow, so to speak. And, and, it's, and unfortunately, uh, we're seeing that now. It, I think it started four years ago and it's still going. I think that's part of what's wearing on people is just, it just seems like everything is below the belt. But that used to be a tactic that was saved for just a very minute moment in time. And here Peter says, but let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so there, I mean, man, there's a lot that we could unpack, you know, from this, but basically there's three things you know, that you can glean from this. I mean, if you want to love life and you want to see good days, Peter is saying, then watch your mouth. Okay. Watch what you say. Okay. First and foremost, and then watch how you act. Watch, watch how you treat people. Think about, you know, how are you treating people? Are you treating people the way that you want to be treated? And then all you have to do is that ties right back to your mouth. What are you saying about people? Are you saying things about people that you'd want people to say about you? And you go, it's that thing of let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only what? That which is good and effective for the building up of the hearer. And then thirdly, and, and I shared this with you really last week, kept bringing this out, especially in second service was, you know, God's sovereign, right? God's in control. And you have to remind yourself, I kept saying that, you know, say this, God, no, you can say this now, God is in control. God is in control. <laughs> we need to remind ourselves that. And this week, in this election week, I want to encourage you to share that with somebody. You're, you're going to have an opportunity. Somebody's going to be going off <laughs> this week. They're going to be watching the election and they're going to be going off the rails. And you need to stop them and you need to look in their eye and you go, hey, look at me, focus, focus. You know? And they look at you and you go, God, and you go, say it with them. Then you go, tell them, say, say this with me. God is in control. And they'll be hyperventilating because <laughs> they're putting all their hope in a candidate, right? Yeah. You go, no, God is in control. And, and that's what Peter's reminding the church. No matter what, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how hard it is, God is in control. And sometimes, you know what? We don't like to hear that. You know, we're just like, no, he can't be in control because, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And guess what? I'm good people. You know, that's what we want to convince ourselves of, right? So we watch what we say. We watch how we act. And then number three, give it all to God. Peter's going, give it all to God. Think about your prayer life today. You know, your peace in this life is equal to your prayer life. I can tell you that. Your peace in this life is equal to your prayer life. 
if you are not enjoying peace in your life, it's because you're not praying. You might be watching too much news. You might be reading about all the things that, you know, are political, but you go, but, you know, if you're seeking him, and isn't that what was one of the things that was so beautiful about Peter? And I wrote about this in devotionals last week as well. You know, I wrote, you know, what, what do you think Peter's favorite verse in the Bible was? You know, his favorite chapter. And, and to me, you know, as I was studying through First Peter and just other passages, to me, you know, Peter, his go-to, like for me, I, I, I think of, you know, 2 Corinthians, you know, chapter 5 is probably, if I had to pick one chapter that I would spend the rest of my life in, for me personally, it'd be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and verse 17, therefore, if a person's in Christ, they're what? They're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Peter, I would believe it's Psalm 34. Just like David, he's reading this. Because you've got to remember, Peter puts his pants on the same way that we do. Peter said a lot of stuff, right? Did, did Peter's mouth, did, he ever, did it ever get him in trouble? Do you think Peter ever suffered from what they call foot and mouth disease or hoof and mouth disease? Yeah. And you go, and, and to know, Peter felt like David. You know, that, man, everything's just going against me. And as David was on the run from Saul, David made a proclamation, though, in his heart. And I know that it spoke to Peter. You can just see it. It just oozes from Scripture. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's what he was learning. That's what we need to learn, that no matter what. God is worthy to be praised. You know, I'll talk to people and they go, Pastor Mike, you know, I just haven't been able to come to church. And it's not because I'm afraid of, of the COVID virus and stuff. I've just been so depressed. I just haven't felt like worshiping God. And you go, what happens in that? And he goes, when we become so focused upon ourselves. And you go, the, the, the joy of worship is what? Is when I get my eyes off myself. Uh, if you're struggling with, you know, being self-centered or, you know, going through whatever it is that you're going through because of self, that's, that's all the more reason to worship because that's what we're doing is we're not setting ourselves up. We are looking to him who is seated on the throne of our heart. Amen. He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy of all honor. And so we look to him. And so give it all to God. That's what Peter's saying. Watch what you say, watch how you act and give it all to God in prayer. You know, I'll tell you this, you know, as you, as you think about this, you know, if you, and you follow Peter's advice here, and it really, he's asking a rhetorical question. He's going to, you know, if you want to love your life and you, you want to see good, he goes, then basically, you know, what you want to do is don't, don't retaliate when other people do things, you know, against you. He says, you know, be tenderhearted, um, you know, kill them with kindness, you, you know, might say. And he's going, and who's going to mess with you if you live your life like that? You know, if you watch your mouth and you watch what you do, you spend more time in prayer, you know, than anything else. And when people do things against you, like I said, you don't try to get back at them. You don't plot against them. We see that, you know, in this world, don't we? I mean, we're watching things politically, things that have happened. I mean, I was watching things that, you know, they were demonstrating that happened during the, the Clinton administration, people that were in politics, and they said, you know, mark my word, I'll get even. And then uh, they were bringing this out during the, the Brett Kavanaugh, you know, uh, confirmation. And they brought it out and they said, I told you then. And you go, wow. So they've been carrying this hatred and this, this vengeance, you know, for, for decades, you know, for generations, you might say, you know, years and years and years. And then all of a sudden it just begins to come out and you go, man, Talk about vindictive. 
And we're seeing that more and more in our culture. And then all of a sudden we're going, but as a believer, you go, no, that's what you're not going to be. If anything could make the church different today is we go, we're not vindictive. And if we are, you go, that is so anti-Christ. That is so unlike Jesus. Instead of forgiving, instead of letting it go and giving it to God. Again, forgiving someone, you know, again, doesn't make them right. And it doesn't release them from their obligation. It doesn't release them, you know, from the consequence even of sin. What it just says is, I'm not going to be judge and jury over your life. I'm going to give that to God. I'm going to let God be God. And I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And that's love you instead of seeking vengeance. And again, like I said, that in and of itself is, is so refreshing to us. And, you know, Peter's reminding us here of all the things, like I said, God is in control. No matter what you're going through, you can grow through it. That's what, that's what Peter would remind us today. Like I said, in Psalm 34, you know, here, here's Peter bringing this back out. That Man, we're going to go through tough things. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to rise up against you, but you're going to go. But in all this, I'm not going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on him. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 13 says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Like I said, it's kind of the, the rhetorical question there. Most of the time, <laughs> Peter is saying what? Nobody. Nobody's going to mess with you. They're going to leave you alone. I mean, think about this. Even people that are antagonistic to biblical Christianity will tolerate it because why? Well, when you're doing good for other people and you're a benefit to the society and you're not taking from the society, but you're actually adding something to it, they go, you know what? I don't agree with anything that they say, but you know what? It's kind of like what the church has done with Mormonism, right? We don't agree with our Mormon friends, but they do so much good for their neighbors. They'll have fruit trees in their backyard. They're bringing over, they go, here's some lemons, you know, Mike, and here's some, you know, I mean, my, my neighbor, old house that we lived in, was a Mormon. And the guy would bring over fruits and vegetables, you know, all the time. He's like, here, we want to bring you this super nice guy. You know, I, I remember talking to a gal one, one day and she said, you know, if, if Mormon theology wasn't so just totally jacked up, she goes, I'd be a Mormon. She goes, because they just, they love, they love their family. They love, you know, they go, but I get it that, you know, it's convoluted, but, but you look and they go, but, you know, and so they're going, we, they go, well, we tolerate them. Well, the same thing can be said of the church. When you are so loving to your neighbors, when you care about them, you know, when they do things against you and your property and you turn and bless them instead of cursing them, they go, you know what? I don't agree with anything they're saying, but you know what? They're not hurting anything. They're kind of, actually, they kind of help us. You know, when we go out of town, they feed my dog. I mean, you know, I mean, that can't be all bad, right? You, you find that, that good in there. And that's basically what Peter's saying, that, you know, if you're doing good, if you're watching your mouth, you're watching you know, the things you say, and you spend a lot of time in prayer, for the most part, we've probably all proven this out. Nobody's really going to mess with you. But then he throws in the but. But, but, look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So Peter here, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 8. Now, it's interesting, you know, when, when anyone in Scripture quotes a passage of Scripture, there's a reason for it. And it's not just, you know, they go, hey, I just want to quote, you know, Isaiah chapter 8. 
is it's a reference point. There's a story. There's a backstory here. Remember, you know, King Ahaz, he's the king of Judah at that time. So if you go back and you read the backstory, it makes perfect sense. The, the king in the north of Israel has made an alliance with the king of Syria. And they're going to come down and they basically are threatening King Ahaz and Judah and saying, we're, we're basically going to obliterate you. We're just going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And what does he do? King Ahaz does what a lot of us do. You panic. You all of a sudden, you, you listen to a threat, right? You go, oh, look, they threatened me, you know, and it ruins your whole life. That's all you can think about. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't do anything. You're just panicking because of what someone said. Well, Peter's quoting Isaiah because Isaiah then says to King Ahaz, he goes, don't worry about it. God's on your side. God's got this. And, you know, uh, don't you love that passage? Be still and know that I'm God. You know, he basically, he's telling Ahaz, just be quiet. Don't panic. Don't fear. Watch. Watch what God's going to do. It doesn't matter. If God be for us, then what? Who can stand against us? And that, that's what he's reminding. So again, that's what Peter is drawing out here. He's, he's taking them back. They knew the Old Testament. You know, they understood the history of Israel. And he's going, don't worry about it. As I was sharing with you last week, God is what? He's in control. And you guess what? You're going to have to remind yourself that. Again, what a, what a great message to go into an election week like we're facing. You just sit on Tuesday. This is what you should be saying all day long. You're looking at your TV, just go, God is in control. God is in control. Deep breath. Cleansing breath. God is in control. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. And like I said, somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Is God still in control? Yes. Yeah. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't vote? No, we should. We should do everything that we can to leave this world a better place, to be involved, actively serving, exercising our rights and our privileges. But understand this, you know, that God is in control. Don't be afraid. If God is going to take care of this for King Ahaz, Peter's reminding us, guess what? God's made a promise. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. If you'll watch your mouth, you'll watch your deeds, God will watch your back. That, that's what he's saying. He goes, now, can people still harm, harm us? No, they can hurt us. Man, that's not a play on words. They can do temporal damage in the sense they can hurt us, but they can't harm us because God will override that. So he said, don't worry about what men can do again to the body, but rather fear him who can kill the body and the soul and cast them both into hell. You're safe with God. I mean, we're all going to die no matter what, unless Jesus returns for us in the rapture, we're all going to die. One way or the other, you're going to die, you know, I don't know, is there a really good way to die? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You say, you know, I just want to die in my sleep. I guess that would probably be the best way to just don't wake up, right? You, well, you wake up, but you wake up where? You know? Yeah, you thought November was nice in Bakersfield. And to be absent from the bodies present with the Lord, all of a sudden you wake up and you, wow. Yeah, yeah. I love that that word blessed. It means happy. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Happy. Are you happy in the Lord today? As John Corson would say, you know, there's only one way to be happy in Jesus, right? That is to what? Trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So you can look at yourself today and you go, am I happy in Jesus? You go, if you're not, you go, well, am I not trusting or am I not obeying? Or am I not both? 
but trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You know, good is, is, is good and righteousness is right, but that doesn't always make us immune to trouble. That, that's the thing that we have to be reminded of. People, again, why me? Why, why, why me? You know, persecution, as I shared with you last week, it has a way of drawing us closer to God. We don't necessarily like it, but it works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when men revile you and they persecute you and they say, All manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly, look at that, exceedingly, exceedingly glad. For what? What does it say? Great is what? Your reward. Where? <laughs> There's the key. In heaven. In heaven. It says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward. Why? Because God is in control. Let me see you think about it. You know, that bad back that you might have or, you know, kids that break your heart. Maybe that divorce that you went through. Maybe that promotion passed you by at work. You know, those things are painful. They hurt. And especially when, you know, it's tied to your faith. But there's, there's something, and we'll talk about this next week, there's something that happens when we experience pain in this life. And one of the things, one of the benefits of pain is it helps cut or sever the ties that we have to this world. I mean, when people give up hope, right? That's the saddest thing. When people give up hope, they just give up, right? But see, we have hope, and we're going to talk about that. I'll give you a little, little teaser in this, a little chapter to go study this week. If you find yourself in the midst of this week going, man, I need hope, Romans chapter 5, okay? I'll just give that to you. We'll, we'll start there next week, Romans chapter 5. But suffering has a way of setting all of us free. You know, I shared this with you, you know, last week. You know, the, the easier life is, the less people enjoy it. The easier life is, the less people enjoy it. It's really true. There's something about, and I grew up playing sports, and it always, sometimes when I didn't understand it, you know, when I was young, and I'd be watching, you know, television, and they would show someone who won, right? So you just got done, you know, you've, you've won. You've won the World Series, you know, as the Dodgers did this last week, and it was your childhood dream, Right. And, and you, you get up there, and they go like this. And they, they get up, and they, they hand them the commissioner's trophy, right, uh, for the World Series. And they're holding this, and then what do they do? They start crying. Grown men, they start crying. And you're going, why are you crying? You know, they go, I'm so happy, but I'm so sad at the same time. They go, what do you mean you're sad? You just accomplished, you know, the very thing that you set out to do. And they go, yeah, but I achieved it. You go, what do you mean you achieved it? Well, the joy was not in achieving it. The joy was really in what? The journey. It was everything that they went through to get to that moment, and now it's gone. And the same thing is true. Heaven is guaranteed, right? If you're in Jesus Christ today, is heaven guaranteed for you? Yeah, it awaits you. You don't have to do anything. Jesus said, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. And when it's done, I'll come get you, right? It's a done deal. So the joy isn't heaven per se. The joy really is in this life, is in the journey. That's what Peter's talking about here, is having joy in our journey along the way. Then you go, why? And you go, because heaven's guaranteed. 
You know, if you just, if, you know, what's that old expression? Don't sweat the small stuff and just remember what? It's all small stuff. You know, that's another one you might use this week on somebody. You know, they're going to be, oh, I thought they like, yeah. hey, 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 look at me. Okay, I said God's in control, right? Don't sweat the small stuff. Why? Because it's all small stuff. I mean, think about it. Really. You'll love life. Because why? Because God is with you. Do, you. do you recognize that? That he's with you? Every step of the way in your life, God is with you. Yeah, hurt, but no harm. Because it's not lasting. Pain, sorrow, they always prepare us. They get us ready for heaven. And you think about this. Because you love God, and God lives in you. You're a light in this world. And Jesus said this, he said, men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Paul put it like this, he told Timothy, he says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Yeah, if you desire to live godly, and you set out to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution. It's inevitable. I mean, the world, like I said, is going to tolerate you, but not for long. Eventually, at some point, you're going to be persecuted. And, and I, I love this illustration. You know, there's one pastor uh, I was reading uh, on his commentary on 1 Peter. And he said, you know, the thing that when you think about why we suffer persecution is because we're light. We're light in a world of darkness and the darkness is growing. And he used the, the example of putting the world in a sense into a photo lab. If you've ever gone into a photo lab, you go in and you turn all the lights off. Like right? it is just pitch dark in there, right? And then they turn on these little tiny, tiny lights and your eyes dilate, right? Your pupils dilate to that. So they adjust to the darkness, right? So try to envision this. It's a great, great image. When you think about this, the world has adjusted their eyesight to what? To darkness. Now, if you want to really be cruel to somebody who's in a photo lab, what do you do? You leave them in there for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. They're working on, you know, on developing, you know, pictures. And then suddenly you do what? You flip the light on, right? And what does the light do? Yeah. What does it do? Like when somebody ever, when you're sleeping, they ever open the blinds for, because they want you to get up. Your, your parents ever do that to you when you're a kid? They come and just throw the, and you go, ah, oh! and it, your eyes are what? They're dialing. All of a sudden they were hit with this light. And what do you do? You get angry, right? Because it hurts your eyes. Well, there, there's a truth in that. When you and I are walking in the light as he is in the light, and you're walking in a dark world that his eyes have adjusted to the darkness, and all of a sudden you bring light, uh, it can be painful. Can you recall that when someone shared Jesus with you, they shared the truth of God's word with you when you weren't walking with God? It wasn't necessarily comforting to you. It was what? Convicting to you. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit was working in the world to do what? To bring conviction so that we would recognize our need for Jesus. And then once we come to him, what happens? Oh, we experience his comfort, amen? His peace, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 20, he says, if the world hates you, 
you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will what? They will, they will what? They will also persecute you. He says, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they're not. And there is where the problem lies. So why? Let me ask you this. Why, why does biblical Christianity get people so upset? You need to think about this today. Why do people get so upset? I mean, think about this. We just said, you know, Peter's going, hey, watch your mouth. Watch your actions and be a person who prays, who doesn't take out vengeance, who stays tender-hearted. And you think, man, you're going to fly under the radar. You're going to go unscathed through this life. And Peter goes, maybe, probably not, though. And they all know from firsthand experience. And you go, but why? Why would people get so upset by people who watch what they say, who watch what they do, and who pray? One, it's one word. It's the word exclusivity. Exclusivity. People hate it. John 14, 6. Remember? Jesus said, I am the way. I, I am what? I am the way. Not He didn't say a way, right? Do all roads lead to heaven? No. He said, I am the way. I am what? The truth. I'm not... I'm not the only truth. I am the truth. I'm the truth that matters. There's all kinds of truth that's not in the Bible. But the one that matters, that will affect your eternity, is in Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. He said, I am what? The life. And he didn't say a few of you. He said, no one does what? No one comes to the Father except what? By, through, it's a preposition. By, through, you know, anywhere a mouse can go. By, through. The only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to God, is through what? Jesus Christ. That is why people hate Christianity. It's not because we don't do good. I mean, you think about it. most hospitals that were ever started in this country were began by Christians. You think about the Salvation Army. You think about all these service organizations, you know, that, that are, began in this country. They, were, they have begun by men and women who are committed to the cause of Christ and, and had a desire to help humanity, right? And you go, what's wrong with that? Nothing, until you start telling people how they have to live their life. That there's an exclusive claim. You can't come to God on your own terms. You can't say, well, me and God, we've got it kind of worked out. We have this thing. You ever talk to somebody like that? Yeah, me and Jesus, we're cool. You know, we kind of got this thing. You know, I talked to him at Christmas and Easter time, you know, and stuff. And, and pretty much, you know, I'm a, because they call him, I'm a CEO Christian. I'm a Christian, uh, a Christmas and Easter only. That's a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only. Okay. And they go, yeah, I've got it. And you go, it's not how many times you come to church. It's your relationship to him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that, that I, tell you to do. Yeah, coming to church, like I said, I always love that Greg Laurieism. It's my favorite. 
He said, you know, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. Going to a donut shop makes you a police officer. I don't know why, but that will always be my favorite one. But you think about that. And so it's not coming to church. It's coming to Christ. Amen. That's an exclusive claim. So what does that mean? If Jesus is the only way, what does that mean about the other thousands of religions that are on this planet? Can you be sincere and be sincerely wrong? Yes. That shouldn't make us haughty. That should, like the Apostle Paul, it should break our heart. Because what the devil has done is he's just put out there a thousand lies and people are going, well, I'm not going to believe until I've checked them all out. Well, every time they get to the end of what they think is checking them out, guess what? A new religion rises up. And then they got to research that. Jesus said, no, the truth you'll know and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. Then it goes back to how Peter started this whole letter in 1 Peter. Is that, man, you and I have been chosen in Christ Jesus. Yeah, we had to choose too. But thank God that he brought us to a place through his love and through his grace and his mercy that he's opened our eyes to recognize that truth. And that should never make us proud. It should always make us humble. As you go, God, if I got what I deserve, if I, Mike Ostheimer, if I got what I deserve, I deserve hell. I deserve hell. But he's made heaven possible because of his body, his blood that was shed for me, that was shed for you. I put in my notes here, Christians aren't better than anyone else. Christians are just better off than everyone else. Amen. That's it. We're not better than anyone else. We are just better off because God is in control. And there is a place. Verse 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. A defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. With what? Here's the key. You can win, you know, you can win the argument, but lose the battle in the truest sense. Or you can win the battle and lose the war. He said, with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. See, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we do know who holds tomorrow. See, one day, church, all this is going to burn. That's what Peter's reminding us. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your life for a second and all the things that you value and all the things that are important to you. And Peter says, all those things are going to burn. There's only three things. You, You might make note of this. There's only three things that are eternal. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. But you think about in our lives, how much stock we put in other things. Way, way lesser things. How much of our time, how much of our money that we're devoted. And yet, if we all understood, it's going to burn. I mean, think about that. The logic behind that. If you knew today, think about it, you know, You might like your house. You might love your house. But do you know your house is going to burn one day? Your house is going to burn one day. And if you knew that it was going to burn, let me think about this. So if I really get this, okay? And this this can be so strange. But if if I really, really fully comprehend this, 
in my heart of hearts. My house is going to burn. Am I going to hurry and go out and get new furniture? <laughs> but I do. That's what's so dumb. I get new furniture. I, I get new stuff all the time. And you go, and, and again, Scripture doesn't say that we can't have new furniture and we can't have comfortable things. That, that's, not, that's not the point. The point is, what's governing my heart? Am I truly seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all the other things will be? Or has my tie to this world become greater than what God intended it to be? And when it does, because God's gracious, what does he do? He allows me to suffer. Because suffering does what? It ties my, it severs my cords to this earth. It helps cut the cords. It helps me prioritize the things that are most important. And what should be the most important thing in our life? What is Peter saying? God and people, right? God and people. Loving God and loving people. And so when he says that in verse 15, you know, is being able to, you know, sanctify. And what, what does that word sanctify mean? When you think about, maybe this is a better way to express that. Set apart. Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. That's what it is to be sanctified, to set apart Jesus in your heart as Lord. And what does that mean? That means before you and I go off into the day, we should be checking with him. God, this is the day that you've made. When Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Where? as it is in heaven. So we should be asking God, God, what's going on in heaven today? Because I need to align myself with that. What am I doing in my life to align myself with God's purpose, with his plan? That word defense there, be ready to give a reason for the defense. It's the Greek word, apologia. It's where we get our English word, apology. That doesn't mean you go around apologizing for your faith. That's not what it's talking about there. It's also where we get the, the term apologetics from. It means to have a defense or offer explanations or give good reason for apologia, apology, apologetic. It's, it's what lawyers do. And I love that Peter uses this word because you think about it like a courtroom dialogue or discussion for lawyers that they're giving a defense of one of their clients. It means to give a compelling reason on behalf of your client. And why is that such an important word, you think, here in 1 Peter 3? That Peter uses a term that's used to describe a courtroom. Because it's pretty safe to say, your life is on trial. My life is on trial as a Christian, isn't it? Is there somebody watching you today? Is there somebody that watches your life to see, are you in the faith, right? I love that expression, you know, it says that, you know, if you were on trial today, think about this as we just prepare for communion. If you were on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's what Peter is saying. That we should, yeah, should be our words that identify us, should be our deeds that identify us, should be our prayer life that it identifies. It should be our tenderheartedness. It should be our meekness, 
All those things. All those things. And then he closes with this. Verses 16 and 17 says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And we'll really get into this more next week. But think about this, you know, a good conscience. What what is a conscience? It's it's that divinely implanted mechanism, you know, in our, our brain and our soul where we either feel accused or excused or convicted or affirmed. Do you remember how it was the day that you got saved? Do you remember how it was when you opened your heart to Jesus Christ? How did you feel? Did you feel clean? Yeah. What a wonderful feeling, isn't it? To know that you're clean, clean because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I hope, you know, that you, you really experience that in your life. Your conscience, what is that? The, the accumulation of the guilt and the shame was what? It was forgiven when you recognize what Jesus Christ had done for you. That's what Hebrews 10 tells us. It says, therefore, in verse 19, it says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See, Peter's saying, hey, you know what's going to help you move forward? A clear conscience. That's how you can live in a world in which we live in today. It's how you can be bold, you know, in your relationship with God. How you can be bold about your faith is having a clear conscience before God. You're not playing the hypocrite, you know, that you are able to defend that faith because your faith is real. The world is going to accuse us of all kinds of things. There's no stopping that, okay? The, the, the key is, is, is don't let anything stick, you know? They can bring the accusation, but don't let it stick. And how do we do that? By bringing everything to God in prayer. Maybe today, maybe you're here, you know, and you're going, man, you know, Pastor Mike, my conscience is, you know, it's weighing on me. And for good reason, it should, because you're guilty. You're guilty before God. There's shame that comes with guilt. And it's produced by sin. And if you haven't brought that sin to God and done what his word declares that we should do is what? We should agree with God. What should we agree with God? His word says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And John would write, he says, if you would confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't have a clear conscience today, you can. But that means you have to agree with God. You know, there's two rules that govern the universe. I want you to think about this today. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. (laughs) And the sooner we recognize that, and we come to him, the sooner our conscience becomes clear, being washed. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. 
you know, we, we seek so hard to try to cover up our sin and our shame and our guilt. How do we do that? Church attendance. You might think, oh, I went to church today. That's going to cover my, my sin, my guilt. No, it won't. You know, I'll go back to school. You know, I'll, I'll get ed educated. You know, no, that, that's not going to do it. I'll work harder. No. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast. It's the gift of God. You want a clear conscience today? You want to move forward with boldness in your life? Agree with God. Watch your mouth. Watch your actions. And spend a lot more time seeking his face in prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, and Lord, we just prepare our hearts for communion now. Lord, as we'll be worshiping you in song here, Lord, we'll take this, this cup, and we'll hold it in our hand, and we'll take this bread, and we'll be reminded that it was your body that was broken for us. And as the Apostle Paul said, that uh, we don't want to receive communion in an unworthy manner. And so, Lord, we want to look at our own hearts today. Do we have a clear conscience before you? Are we guilty? Is there anything in our life that uh, Lord's not pleasing to you? And may we bring those things, not, not condemned, but Lord, forgiven. That we can bring those things to you today. We can agree with your word. And God, we can experience the refreshing of your presence in our life today. And Lord, that's what we desire to do. And so we thank you that it's your body broken for us. It was your blood shed on Calvary's cross. May you use this time as we're worshiping you in song and we receive communion on our own today. But that, Lord, we just appreciate you afresh, thanking you and praising you for loving us so much, Father God, that you would send Jesus to this earth to die for us, that we could know God, we could know heaven, and we could know that there's a purpose and a plan for everything under heaven. And that no matter what goes on this week with this election in our country, no matter what goes on in our home or in our workplace, God, you're in control. And you're using all these things for your glory and for our good. May we recognize that this week, we pray for your glory. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, church, as we go into this song, we're just going to allow you the opportunity.